You know, I... Welcome to Balancing the Hats. I'm Karina Darnell, and this is the place we come to discuss with men and women from all across the globe. So joining me today, I have Suzanne Redmond, and she is from Seattle. She's 27 years old, still newlywed, and she is a cat mom, right? Um, so Suzanne, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And today's topic that we're going to be discussing is going against the grain. So I want to find out from you, can you tell us what it was like for you growing up? Because I know you have an interesting, a very, very interesting story. And I want to thank you so much for actually agreeing to take the time to share it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I actually had a very turbulent childhood. Both of my parents uh, suffer from addiction and they have kind of dealt with that problem on and off throughout my childhood. Um, my dad, more so uh, alcoholism. My mom, more so drug addiction. And so it was a very turbulent upbringing. My parents also had a very toxic marriage. There was a lot of fighting in the house. Uh, it turned physical multiple times. Um, they were very hot and cold. They would break up and then get back together. They'd have a physical altercation. There'd be a restraining order. Then it'd get lifted and they'd be back together. So I would definitely say it was not your not your ideal upbringing. And not your typical, you know, so you, you, you would have seen these physical altercations happen between them and everything like that? Yes. So I I saw it um, every time that it actually happened. And um, there was actually multiple instances of altercations between myself and my father as well. Wow. Wow. So that, that probably just completely threw you for a tailspin then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it definitely... Uh, changed the way that I look at romantic relationships. I would say it, it definitely played a part in my distortion of what love should look like that kind of carried me into my own toxic relationship in my late teens, early 20s. Okay, but you're married now. But I'm married now, so I, I got out. I'm on the other side, and life is good. Okay, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. But how was it for, I mean, you know, sometimes you hear people say that when they would have gone through a lot of trauma and stuff like that, when somebody good actually comes along, that sometimes they might end up giving them a bit of a hard time to get to know them because of trust issues and different things like that. Would you say that that's what happened with you and your husband? <laughs> I would say that that is an understatement, but, <laughs> but, but yes, very much so. That's what happened. I definitely was tired of being mistreated by the time I met my husband, but I also didn't know how to be 
treated well. So I had a hard time grappling with that. And I think uh, between my upbringing and then, you know, my past relationships, I think there's a sense of unworthiness that comes with that. Like you're conditioned to believe that you're not worth being treated well. You're not worth being loved. And it it really, yeah, you're not good enough for that. So Mm -hmm. we definitely went rounds and, you know, thankfully he stuck it out. I played, (laughs) I played hard to get for a while. And if it wasn't for his consistency, we definitely wouldn't be here married all these years later. (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. Okay, so, you know, there's always that question that you're asked when you're a child, what did you want to do when when you grow up? What did Mm -hmm. you want to do? Okay, so this is so, it's funny in hindsight, but, you know, people are like, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a doctor, I want to be an astronaut. But the the only thing that I ever recall wanting to be as a child was a radio personality who, not not on the radio, like DJing, but I wanted to do the traffic updates on the radio. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. And I used to have a recorder and I would like pretend to do the traffic on the radio. <laughs> hmm. I have never heard anybody <laughs> say that. No. Never. <laughs> no. I, 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 it was the only thing that felt inspiring at the time. Okay. So you have a podcast. So is your podcast about the whole traffic and everything like that or? No, I had, I had to leave the traffic behind and move on. I had okay. to move on. Okay, cool, cool. Okay. But but you did still do part of it because you are a podcaster. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast and stuff like that? Yeah. So my podcast is called Redefining Resiliency. And what I try to do on my podcast is bring to light topics that women deal with in their lives that maybe don't get a lot of attention. So some things I've talked about so far coping with burnout, dealing with toxic family members, body image and self-worth. And I just try to bring a different perspective. Um, It's definitely, there's some spicy language. So I do always like to give that disclaimer, (laughs) but I try to be very straightforward and just kind of let women know that they're not alone in going through these things. Well, I like that you have resilience because based on what I what you you would have shared with me about your background and everything like that, I know that you are a woman of resilience. And and even in one of the aspects, you would have explained that you had dropped out of high school at 17, but then mm-hmm. you went back and completed it five years later. I mean, what motivated you to go back and, and finish? You know, I just felt like it was something that I needed to do for myself to just close that chapter of my youth. And I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. And, you know, my, I tried to go back when I was 19 originally, and uh, my mom passed away when I was 19. So I dropped out again. And then by the age 22 rolled around, I just had like a few sparse credits to wrap up. And so it was Partially for me, I just, you know, needed to know that I could, but I I think that it was something that would make my mom proud. So I did, I did do it for her as well. Okay. Okay. So that's good. So y'all relationship was still pretty, pretty good then. Yeah. So yeah, my, my mom has always been my best friend. I feel like she was often misguided in her actions, but I feel like she was an adult still suffering from her own childhood trauma 
And I feel like she just didn't know how to cope. By the time my mom passed away, she had three years of uh, sobriety under her belt. So she was definitely in a different in a different place in life. So okay. we were we were good towards the end. Okay, that's that's good. And I I'm not sure if I should ask, but what about the relationship with you and your dad? Um, that is not the same. So unfortunately, my dad took a rapid decline after my mom passed away, and uh, he never really mentally recovered from it. And my dad is actually still very much so in active drug addiction. So I actually cut him off about a year ago, and I haven't spoken to him since. It just uh, was a very toxic relationship, and there's just a lot of manipulation involved and a lot of like emotional terrorism is what I call it. And I just kind of got to a place where I'm getting too old to allow that in my space and in my life. Okay. That's, that's no problem. I can understand that. Um, you mentioned in terms of him not being in a good place. Um, I know right now that you also still have your struggles because you are living with mental in- illness as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I actually am diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder, which is not the classic bipolar disorder that everyone thinks of where you have these super high ups and super lows. Um, My category of bipolar disorder is actually a lot more lows and you are never fully blown manic. You get what they call hypomanic, uh, but you're never into a full state of mania and it's more so driven by depressive episodes. You said hypomanic? Yeah, hypomanic. So what is that exactly? I I don't know if I fully... So it's like you are up, but you're not in a full-blown mania. So you may have... uh, You may exert some manic types of behavior. Um, like you may take on a bunch of projects at once. You may have more high energy. You feel like you can do more social things. Your sex drive might be up. You may like go shopping. That's something that is tied in, uh, like unnecessary spending is also tied in with mania, but you're not ever going to reach a state of mania that causes you to be in psychosis. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. So how, how has that been living, living with that and dealing with that on a regular basis? It's, it's been a journey. So I've, I've always known, I've been in and out of therapy, you know, since, since I was seven years old and as I was, yes, seven. So yeah, this, it's pretty young, but you know, I like, I had a, a very turbulent upbringing and it just kind of, it, it made me like very angry. And the only way I knew how to get my anger out was to be violent towards myself and so my parents put me in therapy as, you know, any any concerned parent would at seven years old, like your child shouldn't be this upset or acting in this way. So I understand. But I've always known throughout my life that I was a little different. My feelings were very hot and cold and, and they were a little more extreme. And when I was down, I had a really hard time bringing myself up again. Mm-hmm. So I had thought for years that I had been 
bipolar, kind of played around with the thought. Um, I didn't know at the time that bipolar 2 existed. So some some of the symptoms of mania kept, kept me from going in to be checked because I was like, this doesn't pertain to me. Maybe this isn't what it is. And then finally, in December of 2019, I took the plunge. I made an appointment with a psychiatrist and that's where they were able to um, go ahead and diagnose me. So with an official diagnosis, my, uh, my journey is relatively new. However, I've obviously been dealing with these issues that have led me here for years. So now I'm coming into a different wave where there's, you know, more therapy involved, there's medications involved at this point, and just trying to manage it and figure out exactly what I can do to help myself. Right. Okay. Because you you said that you didn't even know that bipolar 2 existed, but I didn't know until you said it just now. I, mm-hmm. I would have always heard about bipolar disease. And like you mentioned, those extreme highs, those extreme lows, but I never knew that there was something kind of in the middle-ish. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't either. I had no idea, no clue. Wow. Okay. So how, how does, does your husband help in terms of helping you manage with with all of this and all the challenges that are going on? Um, he's very supportive, first and foremost. Uh, he, ch- he checks in with me. What do you need? What can I do for you? And he is able to respectfully tell me if my moods are altering, if I don't seem like my typical self. It's easier for him to point it out because I'm obviously wrapped up in whatever thoughts are in my head leading me to act that way. Okay. Okay. Shopping is an interesting one because, I mean, most people would say, you know, women like to go a little overboard with shopping on a regular basis. So I think that that one could be a little, like, how easy would it be able to spot that one if that's one of the ones that you're doing? Uh, So that is more like compulsive shopping. Like you feel like you have to shop, you have to have this, and then there's guilt associated after the fact. So you're like compulsively shopping, buying more than you need, buying, sometimes buying more than you can afford to buy, and then feeling guilty afterwards. Okay. So So it's not like your casual, yeah, it's not like a casual stroll through the (laughs) mall on a Sunday. It's like, holy crap, what just happened? Okay. Okay. So how do you manage that, that side of things? You know, I'm still, I'm still learning how, um, but definitely I would say therapy. I always suggest to people, even if people don't feel like they have any quote unquote problems, like it's just helpful to have somebody listen and kind of help you work through things that is not emotionally attached to your situation. So I would say that has been my number one helper. Okay. I think that part is critical because some people might say, well, you know, I, I might talk to my my partner or my spouse or one of my good friends, but I like what you said just now in terms of somebody that's not emotionally attached to the situation and mm-hmm. ideally, ideally a professional. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Knows, that knows exactly how to get you to 
to say what you're really dealing with, you know, yeah. you, you might not be that comfortable telling a partner or a friend or something. You might actually end up lying to them without intending to, but mm-hmm. I find that, you know, professionals, they're trained to be able to get this information out to you and get you to, re- to do inflection. Um, so I think that that helps a lot. So right what would be your, your biggest challenge to date right now? Um, whoo, and a life full of challenges. Let me pick one. Um, I would say, um, you know, definitely my mother's passing was a big one for me, but I feel like at the time when she passed away, her, her death was overshadowed by the toxic relationship that I was in. And so trying to work through both of those simultaneously, like the combination Mm-hmm. of the the emotional uh emotional terrorism is what I always call it and then also not having my mom there to talk to about it that was very hard for me okay so your mom was aware that you were in that toxic relationship at around that time yes okay I there are definitely some spots where I slipped through the cracks uh you know my parents were not always the most emotionally present. So I actually fell into a relationship with pretty much a, a, a grown up at the age of 16. He was 21. So that would be where I definitely feel like I started falling through the cracks there. And then your mom wasn't able to give you any advice of how to get yourself out of it, more or less. Uh, unfortunately, she could tell me anything that she wanted, but she was doing the exact same thing that I was. So, so it would be hard for me to take her words to heart, knowing her, not just history, but yeah, she's continuing to do this with my dad. So they were together up and up until the time that she died. So it would just be very hypocritical of her. So I think she was just more, I'm here to support you if you need me, was more her stance. So how did you manage to get out of that relationship then? What, what? I, well, well, (laughs) after, after lots of tears and years of just sadness, I just decided I didn't want to feel that way anymore. So I, had to cut off all contact. And uh, that was really a clean break. I feel like is really the only way that people can move on from situations like that. Trying to always seeking closure or always having something you need to follow up on or, you know, just saying, oh, I just want to check up on that person and see how they're doing. Stuff like that doesn't work in situations that are that messy. Okay. So how difficult was that for you? I mean, to, to do a, that's like going cold turkey and doing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because yeah. in my mind, I'm, t- I'm telling myself the word resilience. I mean, your face should be next to it, <laughs> you know, being able to do that. Yeah. I would say on a scale of one to 10, it was about a 25 on the <laughs> di- difficulty Richter, uh, because again, a lot of it is conditioning. And so at that point I was conditioned to believe that I couldn't live without this person. I was conditioned to believe that nobody else would love me. And so 
in my mind, I really battled a lot with that thought process. And a lot of it was just, you know, I leaned a lot on my friends. Like I had an apartment, but I probably stayed there once every other week. Like I was sleeping on my friends' couches. Like I just needed, I couldn't have too much dead space of time. I needed to fill up all my time. Otherwise, you know, that's what I feel like leads people back into their bad habits. If you just are sitting around twiddling your thumbs, you're like, well, a phone call or a text couldn't hurt, you know, okay. but then it does. Yeah. So, so he was abusive as well or um, just emotionally more. Okay. It was, a, 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 and you know, we were equally as bad for each other. So, you know, it definitely wasn't just him. I didn't by the time we broke up, I pretty much hated the person that I was when I was with him. I was mean and cold and untrusting. And mm-hmm. so I just, I think that we were definitely bad. Both of us were very toxic to each other. Okay. Well, thankfully you got out of that and yeah. you know, you've married, have a healthy relationship with your husband. So that's been really great. So what would you say is your greatest success to date then? I mean, after surviving and, and thriving through all of all of this, um, the toxic relationship with your parents and then the toxic relationship with the guy. And, you know, what what would you say is your greatest success right now? I would say the thing that has been the hardest for me that I feel the most accomplished about is cutting any toxicity out of my life, even with people that I care about, you know, my my dad and I have a very tumultuous relationship, but your natural instinct is to be protective of your parents, to love your parents, to obey your parents. And so for me, the the mind work that I've had to do to break the very negative patterns that were very harming to just my, my physical safety, my emotional safety, breaking, I feel like I'm breaking generational curses as I am moving on and moving forward in life. And to me, that is the most important thing. Okay, that's great. I have a question for you. What keeps you moving forward? Suppose there's somebody that's listening that has had a similar lifeline, like how you've had, have gone through similar things and, and may not be on the other end of things right now. What what keeps you moving forward that you and and what advice could you give to them to help them to move forward as well? You know, I feel like if this is, this is a mentality that I have tried to encompass at this point in my life. And I feel like when you are really caught up in your feelings and your emotions, it's really hard to see like the facts and the data surrounding how you are perceiving a situation. So mm-hmm. I try to come through two lenses. First is data kills drama. If you take the facts and and separate, try, you know, it's hard to separate your feelings, but if you try to separate how you feel from a situation to what the situation actually is like maybe you lost your job and you feel defeated embarrassed like like your whole life's gonna fall apart you're gonna be homeless but the facts are yes you lost your job but you have money and savings that you can use you have many skills that you know could be used in your job market there's plenty of jobs available you know so kind of separating 
the two. And then also I would say if, if it doesn't, if it's not going to matter in five years, don't give it more than five minutes. So oh, wow, I've, I like that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge your feelings and always be true to yourself because stuffing your feelings down only means you're going to end up exploding at some other point in, point in time. So you're yeah. doing yourself a disservice by not honoring how you feel in a situation. But when you start to dwell on it rather than just honor it, that is where you slip into self-harming behaviors. So I would say give yourself time to feel and reflect. But if it is not something that's going to matter in five years, don't give it more than five minutes of your time. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I'm, I'm going to pocket that one myself <laughs> as well. That is fantastic advice. If it's not going to matter in five years, then don't give it more than five minutes. Mm-hmm. I think that's really great. And I like that your, your mindset in terms of looking at the thing from the facts, you know, looking at it, what it really is. And in a sense, pivoting, because like you yeah. mentioned, yes, you lost your job, but there's still other benefits. There's still something else you can do. You didn't lose your yeah. life. You're still alive. Right. So, yep. you know, it's just a matter of pivoting and, and going forward for what you want. And I think that's really great advice that you would have given. Um, no, I would just about- say, sorry, um, just, I just want to add one more thing. I would say if you're an emotionally driven person like me, I'm very emotionally driven. It would be very beneficial to find your one designated fact finder because my husband is the complete opposite of me. He is solely data driven. And mm-hmm. so having him in my life helps keep me balanced when my emotions are taking over an entire situation. He can relay the facts to me. And then I can kind of level out. So I would say having one person who is just straightforward with the data is very helpful. I think that's really cool because, well, I can't say if I'm emotionally driven or or not, but I know like my husband likes to use the example of I'm always ready to jump out a plane. He's like, he is the, he is the parachute or he is the voice of reason as like, oh, Karina, what are you going to do on the way down? You know, yeah. or are yep. you going to land? Like, don't just jump out the plane. You know, it's like, okay, give me the information. Yes. You want to do this. You want to do that. I'm fine with that. How? <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> so it kind of puts it in perspective and, you know, stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, okay. So I can't just jump out the plane. I need to get the parachute. I need to figure out where exactly I want to land. So I think mm-hmm. that's our husbands right. sound very similar. I think our husbands are the same person. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> that's really great. Now, um, one of the things that our topic was covering is going against the grain. And we live in a society where women are expected to become wives and mothers and, you know, have children and stuff like that. But the reality is not everybody wants to. And you made that decision that you didn't want to be a mom. You didn't want to take on that responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. So how was that for you? Because I I don't know how it is over there, but here in Barbados, you know, as soon as you get married, everybody's like, oh, so when are you having babies? Yeah. I mean, is it the same or did you have to deal with that? Oh, yeah. No, people. And, you know, my husband and I, when we got married, we were only 25, which you know, people start counting down your biological clock at like 18. So they're like, ooh, you don't want to have a geriatric pregnancy. But it's like, 
hold on a second. We're we're still young. Like we we have some things to do in life. Correct. And I think um for me personally, my biggest driver to decide that I don't want to have children is I feel like I still am a child in some senses. Like I definitely have a lot of healing to do from my own childhood and my early adulthood. I have a lot of trauma to work through. And I think it would be highly irresponsible of me to bring a life into this world when I'm not in a place of healing, you know? And I feel like, you know, unfortunately, that's what happened when my grandma had my mom and then my mom had me. And it's just years of perpetual trauma that she just keeps getting passed down because it's not getting resolved. It's not getting talked about. It's not being fixed. And I feel like you can say, I'm not going to be my parents. And, you know, maybe you won't be abusive and maybe you won't be an alcoholic. But if you have not done extreme healing, there will still be integral parts of that relationship dynamic that gets passed down. That's you just can't avoid that. Especially if you don't address the issues, like you say, you got to address them head on. Yeah, you got to address them. And I also, you know, just feel like I missed out on having a happy childhood. And then my early teens and my 20s were also not great. So I just feel like I need to have time to do things that Suzanne wants to do. Like I need time to be like, this is this is my time. And Maybe after I have that time, I'll change my mind, but I'm not putting any type of pressure on myself because that is not fair to myself. Exactly. And I mean, women have the right to choose. It's, it's up to every individual person to yeah. decide if they want to or if they don't want to. It's not something for everybody. And I like the fact that you know yourself and you make yeah. that decision as opposed to just following what everybody else says you, sh- you need to do. And then you regret it later and 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 then don't end up loving your child. You right. Know? So. And I think that that's a big thing. You know, I definitely started getting the questions right away. When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? But to me, it's like, okay, all these, all these outside people, you know, my in-laws, I love them. They're great. My husband's parents, they would love to have grandchildren, you know, other people in my family would love to have a little baby roaming around. It's like, you're not going to be there at 3am changing diapers. You're not the person who's going to lose out on sleep. You're not the person (laughs) whose body is going to be taken over. So if you want to assume all of those roles, then by all means, I'll pop out a child (laughs) if you want to be my live-in nanny. But I'm not going to have a kid just so you can have someone to play with on the weekend and then send them back home, you know? Yep, I agree. Because, I mean, that was an option that I I chose for myself. But like you rightfully said, sometimes, even though, you know, my husband and I made the decisions to have little ones, it's like Mm -hmm. at three, at one, at two, you know, yeah, sometimes you're like... Really? (laughs) Really? Is this Mm -hmm. what it's about? (laughs) You know, and I mean, even for me, I would have made a decision that there were certain things I wanted to do for myself. So a lot of um, girls that went to school with me, a lot of females that went to school with me that were my age, they had, they were on to two and three, you know, and I had my first child at 31. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And one girl looked at me at time. She was like, wait, Karina, this is your first baby? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, wait, you wait right late? I said, no, I waited until I was ready. Yeah. 
things had to be in place for me. I mean, I didn't go through the trauma that you would have gone through, but there were still some things that I wanted for myself to put me in that mental state where I was ready. You know, right. there were certain things I wanted to accomplish in my life first, you know, before I said, let me bring a tiny human in here. And and even now it still has its challenges because mm-hmm. little people do what they want to do when they want <laughs> to do it. You yeah. Know? And yeah. I mean, even with COVID and everything like that, yes, they, they had some moments where I was like, really? Why isn't school open? Right. <laughs> Why isn't there someplace that you could go? Because yeah. Toddlers can drive you crazy. So mm-hmm. I, I would not advise anybody to decide, okay, well, I'm just going to do this to pacify my family. Or Because like you also said, your body changes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your partner might be telling you, yeah, I still love how you look. But you're looking in the mirror and you're like, wait, this is not how I looked before. You know, yeah. you now got to learn to love how you look. You lack of sleep. Um, and there's always that constant thing because I, I keep telling people I hear differently now and I've never slept the same way since I had my daughter, <laughs> you yeah. know, and I'm like the, the slightest thing I hear and it's like, you go through a day sometimes just wishing that they will go to sleep. And then when they finally go to sleep, you're there like, okay, you're breathing. You all right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and it's like my whole sleep pattern changes I could hear buh and I'm like okay what's that she are yeah <laughs> so no I would not recommend it don't do it to pacify somebody you have to be at a mental state you have to be at a physical state as well too to be able to go through that because like with my first child it was a traumatic birth um mm-hmm. for me so then coming out to that um there were certain things like you know like um, grandparents would be happy to see the baby and just immediately come and take the baby out of your hand. Like my mom couldn't do that. That put me in a very bad mental state because one of the nurses at the hospital had done something like that. And and even something simple like that completely threw me. And I remember I had to talk to my mom about it because the third time she did it, I, I think I raised my voice a bit. And she didn't understand till I explained to her, well, this is what happened when I was in the hospital. And then right. I took the baby and went around the corner you know, so it, there's certain things and I think, I think everybody should be ready. So if you change your mind, great. If you don't change your mind, great too. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel like I just need to give a shout out. I think moms are super human and you are, you're all superheroes and you deserve all the credit and all of the praise. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's it's a hard job and it's a job you never get to clock out from. And like you said, you never, you never breathe the same way again. You know, you always have a little tiny human in mind, like, and anything that happens to you, you have to take that little person into account. And I just, I think it's an incredible honor to be a mother and that it takes a very high level of responsibility. Yeah, it does. It does. Cause I mean, you know, like how people will say, well, you might have a car for five years or 10 years. Yeah. You have a child for life. <laughs> yeah. You, you can't just try it on for size and decide it's not for you. Exactly. Because even yeah. my mom, my mom and my dad would tease me sometimes because like, say, for example, my husband's at work or something like that. And I'm on the road and my car breaks. So technically, I still call my dad first, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, wait, you're married. You're, you're, <laughs> why are you calling me? Why are you calling your husband? You know, but it's still one of those one of those things because you know, thankfully, I I did have that really cool relationship with them, and I I I 
I have no idea what, how it would have been like for you going through what you would have went through, um, especially knowing how, how good my side of things was. But I tell people that there's always a testimony in every trial that we go through. Um, so I really thank you that you, you actually are willing to share and encourage others and, and share with them how to be resilient. Cause to me, you're still doing amazing things, you know, having your own podcast to encourage other people. And you're also a restaurant server by night, which is not a typical, again, going against the grain, not a typical thing yeah. that people would expect, but it's something that you love yeah. um, to do, you know? So that's and- cool. I've kind of encompassed, you know, when you're young, everyone's like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And now I'm more, instead of what do I want to be, it's who do I want to be and what do I want to feel? And to me, it's much more about how I feel about what I'm doing rather than what I'm actually doing. Yeah, I think that's great. So when you're doing the restaurant serving, that makes you feel what? That makes me feel like I have uh, freedom, honestly, (laughs) because, you know, when you work in a restaurant, it's very fast paced. It it can be really hard on your body. It's a lot of multitasking. And I mean, I definitely think a lot of people are like, oh, anybody can do it, but actually not just anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. And um to me, it's it's freedom because I don't have to work forty hours a week. I can I can work twenty hours a week and make what some people have to work fifty hours a week to make. I can take time off whenever I want. You know, there's a lot nice. of flexibility. You're working less days out of the week, less hours in the week, so you have more free time. And to me, I very much value that. And you know. To me, my personal restaurant company, they offer 401k, they offer health insurance. And I know a lot of people in the service industry don't have that luxury. But for for me, it's the perfect storm. Okay, that's great. You know, I'm really happy because, like I said, you have to do what it is that you want to do for you. And you Mm -hmm. have to love what it is for you, regardless of what society wants to tell you because like even down here, I mean, I would have had my own struggles in terms of, you know, you're raised to go to school, learn well, have a great job. Um, but I don't like working nine to five. I yeah. rather, I it's it's not for me. I would rather be doing photography all day. I would rather be singing all day or writing songs or talking, literally talking all day. And yeah. you know I think that we have to move away that kind of pressure that we put on people to go to the Ivy League colleges or go to the Ivy League schools and then go to do this job to be a CEO. Not everybody wants to be a CEO. Yeah. And that's the hard part is that I feel like we glorify these like mass pillars like doctors, lawyers, you know, we, we hype them up and we put them on a pedestal, but at the same time, There is a place for every job and there is a purpose for every industry. And, you know, a lot of people don't care for, you know, fast food workers, for example. But if they weren't there to give you your McDonald's, you would be really upset. Or if that barista wasn't there to get you your Starbucks at four in the morning, you'd be really upset. So, you know, don't don't frown upon someone. Mm -hmm. Somebody still needs to collect the trash. Somebody yeah. still needs to collect the garbage because right. if if they go on strike, 
everything. It's all shut. over. <laughs> yeah, everything yeah. is shut down. Yeah. So I don't know why we, like you said, even here, we have a saying here, uh, doctor, lawyer, bank manager. And people think that, th- that that's okay to put them up there on that pedestal. But what about that photographer that mm-hmm. is making millions of dollars and working, doing what they love? Right. I mean, that should be celebrated as well, too. And I, I, I wish it was, but all I can do is do my part and say, you know, is I all I can do is honor myself and not try and fit in someone else's box. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think that that's one of the things that you said as well, too, being true to yourself and, and knowing yourself and how important that really is. Yeah. And I feel like if you're not in touch with yourself, like, you know, we've all gone through you know, ebbs and flows, your relationship with yourself ebbs and flows, just like if you were to have a romantic relationship or a friendship. And, you know, sometimes you're, you're not at peace with yourself. And then you just have to strive to get back to that place. Yes. Yep. I agree with that. All right. Well, as we get ready, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Um, Because I know that sometimes you might work a couple late hours, late nights and stuff like that. So I really appreciate taking the time to come on today and to share a bit about yourself with us and I hope that it encourages those who are listening um, any other ladies or any other guys that are in toxic relationships or tumultuous relationships you know Suzanne would have given some great advice of what you need to do because at the end of the day it's all about being true to you knowing you loving you and doing what's right for you. So look at the data, look at the facts. And what was that line that you said about the five years and five minutes? If it won't matter in five years, don't give it more than five minutes. Exactly. So I want to thank you so much, Suzanne, for taking the time. Thank you for hanging out with me. I had so much fun. Yeah. So um, before you go, though, can you tell um, the others what's the name of your podcast again so that they can be sure to tune in and how they could get in contact with you if they wanted to ask any questions? Absolutely. So my podcast name is Redefining Resiliency. And if you want to get in contact with me, uh, I am on Instagram. Uh, You can try and look me up by my first and last name or my handle is it's just Suze and that's S-U-Z-Z-Z three Z's. It's just Suze. Okay, great. And you all know I'm Karina Darnell. You can check out my website, www.karinadarnell.com. On Instagram, Karina Darnell. And on Facebook, I am Karina Darnell. So I want to thank you so much for joining joining me today as we talked with Suzanne Redman about going against the grain. So until next week, when you come back and join me again, and we'll be talking this time with Dr. Toya about black joy, explaining exactly what that is. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, leave a review, and of course, tell your friends.